0: There are many different responses one can have to the news of the death of an individual. Those responses can vary because of a number of reasons. The age of the deceased, whether they were young or old. The health of the deceased prior to death. Were they in good health, or had they been experiencing a long season of decline? The circumstances surrounding the death. Was it a peaceful death? when someone just goes home to the Lord in their sleep, or was it a very traumatic and unexpected death? And least of all, the relationship that one had to the deceased was the person a beloved relative, a close friend, or a mere acquaintance, or perhaps even an arch enemy. All of these considerations are going to have an effect upon the response that we have to the death of an individual. This morning, we want to focus upon David. What was David's response when he heard of the deaths of Saul and Jonathan? Jonathan, of course, was David's best friend, confidant, help, security. Saul was king over Israel. Saul was the one who was standing in David's way to be the next king. Saul was the man who had been persecuting David and seeking his life for years. So how would David respond? How would he react to the news of Jonathan and Saul's death? The key verse this morning is 2 Samuel 1, verse 17, which reads, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son. David grieved. was grieved by the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. So this morning we are going to focus upon David's manifestation of grief as he reflects upon the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. First is the occasion of grief, the death of Jonathan and Saul, and the Israelite soldiers. As the narrative opens, David returns to Ziklag after the Lord gave him victory over the Amalekites, chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Saul, When David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, of course, at this point, David doesn't know that Saul is dead. David remained two days in Ziklag. So, if you remember, uh, when David had been dismissed from the Philistine army, he had gone back to Ziklag and it had been burned and looted, and wives and children were taken captive. And David and his men pursued the individuals and got all the loot back and their wives and their children. Well, two days had passed, and that intervening period of battle had been taking place between the Israelites and the Philistines. And now, two days later, an Amalekite comes bringing news of the battle between the Israelites and the Philistines, as well as bearing news concerning the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. 2 Samuel 1, 2 through 4. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp, with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell on the ground and paid homage. David said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. David wants to be sure that this man knows what he's talking about. Perhaps David is in denial, can't believe what he hears. So he asks him, how do you know this? Verse 5, Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The man is confident because he says that he killed Saul himself, starting at verse 6. And the young man who told him said, by chance I happen to be on Mount Goboah. And there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked upon him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, Stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. Now as you read this narrative, and if you can remember what we had discussed last week, there is a notable discrepancy between our text and the text that we looked at just last week. Last week we saw that Saul had died as a result of falling on his own spear, 1 Samuel 31.4, Saul said to the armored bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Now, up to that point, these two narratives are pretty much in agreement. But notably, the armor bearer does not take his own life until he sees that Saul has died, 1 Samuel 31.5. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. So in the account in 1 Samuel chapter 31, David, uh, excuse me, uh, Saul dies of that self-inflicted wound. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 1, this Amalekite says that Saul had not yet quite expired when he happened to come upon him and he finished him off. 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10, so I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. So we ask the question, how are we to reconcile the discrepancy in these two accounts? Well, it seems pretty clear to me that we're to see that the first text, 1 Samuel chapter 31, is the authoritative account of what had transpired. What we have in 2 Samuel chapter 1 is a lie, a deceit that is being offered by this Amalekite, The lie is told in order to obtain favor with David. There is an assumption on the part of this Amalekite that the news of Saul's death would be welcomed news to David, that David would be elated, he'd be excited and thankful that Saul was dead, that he'd be celebrating the event. In this Amalekite's mind, David's pursuer is finally dead, now, at last, the pathway had opened up for David to become king. And if you notice, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, these words of the Amalekite says, So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head, and his armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. So he says to David, here is the crown. Here is the kingship. I have brought it to you. So the man thinks he's bringing great news to David, and that David is going to be excited about being king. The man thought that David would be overjoyed, and perhaps even reward the Amalekite for doing away with David's enemy, and clearing the pathway to the kingship. However, that's not how David viewed it at all. So David is not In a celebratory mood, David is grieving at the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. Application, we must guard against preconceived ideas about how a person is going to respond to another person's death. We can't really know what's going on in the heart and mind of another individual, and it's dangerous to presume and to think that we would know how a person responds. Certainly, We should not assume that an individual is going to have a sinful response. David becomes a model in the way that he responds to the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, which we will see in just a moment. And we too can be a model in the manner in which we respond to the death of an individual. So we move to the sudden expression of grief. David is overcome by sorrow. David's immediate response to the news of the death of Saul, Jonathan, and the soldiers is great sadness, verse eleven. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until the evening. So there are three notable ways in which David manifests his grief. First is he mourned. He mourned. The Hebrew word means to beat the breast as a sign of mourning and people would go around and and actually beat their breasts. They would would actually pound themselves. They would tear their clothes. All that was a symbolic way of expressing sadness. Uh, We don't do such things today, but one of the ways in which we have a sign of mourning, if you will, is uh, people wear black. People wear black to funerals. Uh, Don't usually have uh, the mourning period like we did in the old days, but there was a time in which people would Wear black as a sign of mourning. Uh, a widow, a widower, uh, many times a week, a month uh, would uh, wear black as a designation that they were in mourning. Here was a symbolic mourning that David entered into. Secondly, he wept, which is an emotional response. Uh, he wept bitterly. Uh, he was grieved. He was moved uh, emotionally by this news. Saddened him. And then, thirdly, he fasted, which is a spiritual response. Uh, He was praying. Uh, He was seeking God's direction. Uh, He was bringing the nation before God. So he mourned, he wept, he fasted. The reason for the sadness is the manner in which their lives had come to an end in verse 12. It says, and they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan and his son for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel than this, because they had fallen by the sword. They had fallen by the sword. They had died in battle. They had died in battle. They died defending Israel. They died in defending the glory of God. A battle, by the way, that David himself did not engage in. He was dismissed. Uh, By the grace of God, he got out of that dilemma that he was in and being associated with the Philistine army. But David's off the scene. He's fighting another battle. He's fighting against the Amalekites. And in this particular battle against the Philistines, David was not even engaged. We're going to say a lot about that and more in just a moment. A short period of time elapses, and then David has some questions for the young man. First, where are you from? Verse 13. David said, Young man, who told him, Where do you come from? <clears throat> The answer is that he lives in Israel, but he is an Amalekite. Verse 13, David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? He answered, I'm the son of a sojourner, an Amalekite. So here is an Amalekite who had taken up residence in Israel, and uh, that was his father. And so he lived in Israel, but he was not an Israelite. David marvels that the man would not be fearful of opposing God and killing Saul. Verse 14, and David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? What right did you have to take the life of Saul? This is the person that God had established as king. And if you remember, David refused to harm Saul in any way. He was going to leave that into the hands of God. And the death was imminent. And so David says, weren't you afraid? to go against God. Then to the man's surprise, David does not reward the man, but rather passes judgment on him, verses 15 and 16. Then David called one of the young men and said, Go, execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. David administers the justice that David deems to be a be observed. This uh, Amalekite, of course, was uh, an enemy of Israel to begin with, as being an Amalekite. But more than that, this, this man uh, was guilty of his own lies, his own deception, and rather than being an advancement, it was going to bring about his own death. Application, it's a sad state of affairs when a person uses the death of an individual as a means of creating a still deeper wedge between people. uh, This Amalekite was interested in stirring up trouble. Uh, He wanted David to be excited. He wanted David to celebrate the death of Saul rather than to mourn it and rather to grieve it. Uh, He wanted that wedge that existed between Saul and David during their lifetime to be even greater and more pronounced after the death of Saul. Unfortunately, there are a number of people that do dastardly things in trying to promote family division, uh, promote ongoing tensions, grudges, <laughs> people want to get even. People start fighting about inheritances. All kinds of things happen at the death of an individual. And many times, totally inappropriate. It's a sad state of affairs when a person uses the death of an individual to advance their own cause. This Amalekite was seeking to use Saul's death as a way of advancing himself. He thought he was going to be rewarded, when in fact he was not. Um, We need to be on guard against selfish ambitions. But thirdly, and most importantly, there is this thoughtful expression of David's grief. And that's where we're really going to spend our time this morning, this thoughtful expression of David's grief. If you look at verse 17, it says, David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan his son. A lamentation. The commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, says this, and I quote, a a lament is a formal expression of grief or distress, one that can be written, read, learned, practiced, repeated. A lament differs from the informal, spontaneous, immediate outbursts of grief, like those of 2
1: Samuel 1, 11 to 12,
0: A lament is no less sorrowful or sincere, but it is a vehicle for the mind as well as for the emotions. A lament is an expression of thoughtful grief. This lament is a poem, and it was intended to provide instruction. It was intended to teach the Israelites how one should view and respond to Saul's and Jonathan's death. He needed to provide an example. He needed to provide them with some understanding. Perhaps they thought that they should be rejoicing. Perhaps they thought that David was excited and appreciated the fact that Saul was off the scene. So David needs to teach Israel how to respond to this very tragic situation. If you notice in verse 18, it says... And he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. That it should be taught to the people of Judah. There were certain responses that David wanted the people to keep in mind. There were lessons to be learned from the death of Saul and Jonathan. He was pointing out truths. He was leading them in a direction. He was instructing them as to how to respond to the death of Saul and Jonathan. The lament was to be recorded and be preserved as an official document, verse 18. He said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher, he said. Now, the book of Jasher we know very little about. We don't know what that is. Uh, It would uh, appear to be (laughs) a book that is kept by an historian named Jasher. There's only one other reference to it. It's in Joshua chapter 10, verse 13, which reads, And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. So it is assumed that Jasher was the historian of the time, and he would be the the one that would record the events that happened in the nation of Israel. Those things that needed to be remembered, that needed to be memorialized, that needed to be preserved for future generations. Uh, We're in a Memorial Day weekend in which there's a time of commemoration. We think of the, the deaths of the soldiers. We think of those that have fought for our freedom. And there are documents that we think about that are extremely important to our nation. Uh, such as the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. And these documents are preserved. They're, they're put on display. and They're intended to be informative, to help us understand our, our founding, what it was that people were seeking. And uh, people will go to those documents and learn about the founding of our nation and the purposes for which freedom was sought. So here is this... Document that David is creating and expecting that the children of Israel are going to read and reread and reflect upon. This is a, a turning point in the nation of Israel. Their very first king is dead. Now the second king is gonna be taking over. So how is David going to view the former king? What is the relationship that's going to exist? How are the people of Israel to respond to David now that Saul is dead? There are a lot of questions, so David is seeking to address those issues. The main theme of the lament is that the powerful and great have died. If you look at verse 19, it reads, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. Now these words, how the mighty have fallen. If you look at verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. Verse 27, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war are perished. So the clear theme is the mighty have fallen. The mighty have fallen. I'll come back to that. As David opens the cement, David warns Saul's enemies against celebrating and boasting over the deaths of Jonathan and Saul. First, he is afraid that in Gath particularly, now remember, Gath is the place where David himself had fled for refuge, for protection. Gath is the place where David had pretended to be a follower of the Philistines in order to be preserved from Saul taking his life. It's the king of Gath that enlists David into the Philistine army and all those things that take place. So verse 20 says, Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. So he's saying, don't publish this abroad. Lest the Philistines are going to, to publish what has taken place, lest they exalt. I don't know if David was aware, uh, most likely not, of what had already taken place, what we saw at the end of chapter 31. And that is the body of uh, Saul was taken, if you remember, where the uh, head was put in the uh, temple of Dagon, uh, another goddess was accredited with a victory. Already the celebrating is going on in the Philistine camps. Already the people are ascribing glory to God. uh, Excuse me, glory to their false gods. So David is concerned and says don't let that happen. Don't let these women rejoice. David then places a symbolic curse on the place where Saul and Jonathan met their Deaths, verse 21. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not an anointed with oil. These places are to be remembered. And they are not to be remembered fondly. They are to be remembered in agony in misery, uh, no celebration. There is a phrase that we have in our own society, and that is, remember the Alamo. Heard that? Remember the Alamo. It was the fighting cry of Texas when so many had died at the Alamo, when Davy Crockett and others, people of stature, Gave their lives in order to protect Texas. Remember the Alamo was the cry. David is saying, here, remember Geboah. Don't forget what happened there. Don't lose sight of this battle. It was a great defeat, but it's not the end. David is preparing the people for a time in which they're going to have to fight against the Philistines again. And the battle cry is going to be, remember Geboah. The closest thing that we have to a lament today, I would say, is a eulogy. A eulogy. A eulogy is often offered by family and friends at a funeral service in which the deceased is fondly remembered. To eulogize is to praise and to give thanks. And so, there is this thankfulness that people express, appreciation they have for this beloved one who has died, what they have meant to them, what they have done for them, how they have been a blessing perhaps to the church, to the community, to others. And so there is a eulogy. David enters into a eulogy now for Saul and for Jonathan. First, David speaks of the accomplishments of Saul and Jonathan together. Their victories in battle are celebrated and remembered, verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. The sword of Saul returned not empty. These were not men who fled in battle. These were not men who turned coat and ran. These were people who fought and fought valiantly and even fought to the end. They were to be remembered for all of the military exploits that they had accomplished. Saul and Jonathan's commitment to each other is also celebrated in verse 23. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. In life and death, they were not divided. There were a lot of tensions that existed between Jonathan and Saul. And those tensions surrounded, were surrounded by David. David was to be the next king over Israel. Saul refused to accept that fact. He refused to accept the will of God that David was to be the next king over Israel. And, uh, of course, Saul wanted his son, Jonathan, to be the next king. But Saul, as I said, refused uh, the will of God and so fought against David and, and actually tried to have David killed. Jonathan, on the other hand, was very devoted to the Lord and wanted God's will to be done. And in his devotion to God, he became devoted to David. Even swore to David to protect his life against his father. So there was a lot of tension and difficulty that was created between Jonathan and Saul. And yet, they continued to work together. And yet, they continued to fight side by side. Uh, They continued to be committed to each other even though they had this Different view of David. And Saul praises Jonathan and Saul's commitment to each other. He saw that as praiseworthy, he, he saw that as valuable, he saw that as dignified and
1: glorious.
0: Then David eulogizes. Saul and Jonathan separately. David reminds the people of the prosperity that Saul brought to the nation, verse 24. You daughters of Israel weep over Saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. The daughters of Israel were to weep. They were to weep over Saul. They were to be saddened. It is the exact opposite of the women of the Philistines who are joyful in verse 20 it said tell it not in Gath publish not in the streets of Ashgon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice David is saying this is not a time of rejoicing he wants there to be no mistake they're not to look at this as a selfish response on the part of David he's telling them to be sad and to remember not to lose sight of the benefits that they experienced under Saul's kingship, namely the prosperity. Though he had not finally and completely delivered the children of Israel from the Philistines, he repeatedly delivered them and raised their standard of living, if you will. And He says, don't lose sight. Don't forget the good that Saul has done. David expresses his deep and sincere love for Jonathan, verse 25. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. <coughs> Excuse me. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother, Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. David had a unique relationship to Jonathan. There is no greater relationship that is portrayed in the scriptures and the friendship between Jonathan and David. It was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Now this last phrase, surpassing the love of women, modern commentators have picked up upon that, some of them, and uh, have said that this is an allusion to a homosexual relationship and that the relationship between David and Jonathan was one of homosexuality. In rebuttal of that idea, uh, Dale Ralph Davis states the following. I quote, it is is utterly wrong-headed to read the idea of homosexuality into this text. The comparison between Jonathan's love and a wife's love is not at all the point of sexuality, but the point of fidelity, the point of faithfulness. He's saying that there is no relationship he had experienced, where he was as close to an individual as he was close to Jonathan. David had numerous wives, but he could not confide in those wives, he could not trust those wives, those wives had not been sacrificial to David, and we're going to see some of the interrelationships of David and his wives in the weeks that lie ahead. It was truly unique. Jonathan risked his life repeatedly for the sake of David. And he was selfless. Selfless. Remember, he was next in line to be king over Israel. And he found out it was not God's will for him to be king over Israel because of the acts of his father Saul. He accepted that. And not only did he simply resign himself to that fact, he actually rejoiced in it. He actually was happy for David. He was pleased that David was going to be king and pledged his support. said, I will be your right-hand man. I'll be second to you. David never forgot it. David certainly appreciated Jonathan. Jonathan's commitment to David was amazing. Then the theme of the lament is given once again. In the conclusion, verse 27, how the mighty have fallen, and the weapons of war perished. A reminder, verse 19, verse 25, verse 27 states how the mighty have fallen, how the mighty have fallen. So some conclusions and some takeaways. First, David's response to Saul's death is not a selfish or vengeful response. He did not merely think of what this would mean for him personally, that is, that he would finally become king. Nor did he focus upon his nemesis being dead and no longer being persecuted. So David could have viewed this situation, first of all, as relief. relief. Finally, finally, he is going to be freed from this ongoing persecution that he has been experiencing at the hand of Saul. He could have been relieved at least, or celebratory, and thinking about now the fact he's finally going to become king. But that's not how he responds. It's not a selfish response. This non-selfish response is genuine. It was heartfelt. He mourned.
1: He wept. He was grieved
0: by what had taken place. And then, thirdly, in I think most importantly, David's response is an intentional response. David saw this as a teaching opportunity. This was an opportunity
1: to learn. He says so.
0: He says, let it be written down, recorded in the book of Jasher, how a people should respond to the death of Saul. The way that we respond to the death of an individual can be a tremendous teaching
1: opportunity. First to our children,
0: to our children. I remember, don't remember it well, but I remember when my grandmother died. I was two and a half years old when my grandmother died. And uh, I remember my parents having a discussion as to whether or not I should view the body. Whether that would be traumatic for a two and a half year old, whether that be good or whether that be bad. And uh, they were previewing the body and they sent me outside to play. And I was outside uh, of the funeral home playing in the dirt. And uh, they were viewing the body and they decided that it was probably a good thing for me to see her. It would be an opportunity to talk about death and what happens when a person dies. So they called me, and I came in, and I, it was, I can see this dramatically in my mind because I walked in, and I don't know why in the world there was a white carpet in a funeral home, but there was a white carpet, and I walked down the carpet, and my parents were aghast because I turned around, and there were little footprints of mud <laughs> on this white carpet as I went up to the, to the casket. So I was in trouble for my, for my dirty feet. <clears throat> That's what I remember most. But also, I remember viewing a dead body. And then my mother sitting and talking with me about what happens when a person dies. How your spirit goes to be with the Lord if you know the Lord is your Savior. used it as an opportunity to share the gospel with me. It was very intentional on their part as to whether I should view the body and what they're going to talk to me about afterwards.
1: It's very important. A funeral is a unique opportunity for a family to express
0: not only to children, but friends, relatives, people you work with, acquaintances, neighbors, people who will come and will listen. A unique opportunity. To share with them what death means, how you view it, the comfort that you have if they know the Lord is their Savior. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To express your appreciation. Let them know how you felt about this loved one, how you appreciate certain characteristics, how the church will be affected, community will be affected by. They're no longer being with us. Even as David had wanted Israel to understand what Saul's death would mean for them. and That he did not want Saul to have died in vain. He wanted Gilboa to be remembered. He wanted there to be an ongoing trust in God. So there's unique opportunities for us when a person dies. Teaching opportunities. Answer questions that might arise in people's minds. It's a time in which we can show our love. It's a time in which we can demonstrate forgiveness. Even as David obviously had forgiven Saul for all that he had done against him. Families have their tensions.
1: Families have their heartaches. And it's a wonderful example to be able to not just speak of but manifest the spirit of forgiveness. Not to hold grudges. Not to want vengeance. Not to want to get even. Show love. Demonstrate forgiveness.
0: Express appreciation for what this person has done, what they have meant to you. They meant to others.
1: To create a, a lasting remembrance. A eulogy. And if you give a, a eulogy, I'd
0: encourage you to write it down. Sorry. Just like David's Lament, it was written. Kept. Kept maybe on the anniversary of a death or you're feeling low or you want grandchildren that
1: didn't know their grandparents were well might read it might share some thoughts
0: might help them understand what this person has meant in the family how they've contributed to your own spiritual advancement and well-being
1: a unique opportunity. David's response is a God-honoring response.
0: He's afraid of how the enemies of Israel are going to view the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. They're going to ascribe
1: the powers to these false gods. He doesn't want them to celebrate. He doesn't want them to celebrate. David's
0: response is a sobering response. The lament three times "As the mighty have fallen. The mighty have fallen. The powerful have fallen. Saul had killed his thousands. David his tens of thousands. Jonathan had created these incredible victories over the Philistines. And yet,
1: the mighty had fallen. The mighty had fallen. Three times he says that. I think he communicates at least three things. First, David's own awareness of his frailty. David could have died in that battle.
0: It was the grace of God that he wasn't there. He was off fighting the Amalekites because of the raiding of Ziklag, and he missed that whole battle. He missed that whole
1: war. Sobering. The mighty have fallen. Death comes to us all. It's a time of Soberness.
0: Better to go to the house of the Lord. Better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of us all.
1: It's sobering. It's also a statement of appreciation. Here were these mighty warriors and they were fallen. they had accomplished so much And yet, in the case of Jonathan, died young. It was sad. The mighty had fallen. And certainly, it's a statement of tragedy. Tragedy. For
0: the hopes of Israel were dashed. Remember at the end of chapter 31, when the people... See what happened to Saul and Jonathan. They flee the, the city. They just leave. They just get out of there. They vacate because they see the Philistines as coming in as a horde. Those that they had looked up to, those that they had respected, the mighty, have fallen.
1: How can we stand if the mighty fall? The answer by the grace of God, by the goodness
0: of God. God was going to raise David up and God was going to use David to get a great victory over the Philistines and we'll see that in the months to come. But it's a sobering thought, the
1: mighty have fallen. There may be people in your life that are extremely, extremely important to you. And you may wonder, how can I go on? You may wonder,
0: how can the church go on? The death of such a prominent individual. You may wonder how the business can go on, on and on and on. The mighty have fallen.
1: The mighty have fallen. Answer: We go on by the grace of God. God can raise up. God can restore. God can provide. God can enable. It is a sad
0: day when the mighty have fallen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we look to you and ask for your grace and your goodness. And Lord, on this Memorial Day, there are people who are mourning the death of loved ones who have fallen, fallen in battle, saved their lives. Then, Lord, there are all of us who know the pain of death and Our beloved ones and our friends, comfort us this day.
1: Lord, help us to respond in faith.
0: Help us to respond in a teaching moment. Help others understand how they can respond
1: to the death of a loved one, a friend, and even, yes, an enemy. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.